Welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. And this is episode 13. Today we are rounding things out and reviewing Gurren Lagann part 2. As always, there will be spoilers throughout this episode, so you have been warned. This is it. This is it. You have finished Gurren Lagann. I have rewatched Gurren Lagann. Oh my god, the feels throughout this whole show. It was it was a lot to process. I thought going into it, I would be good because I'm like I know what happens for the most part. Some of the stuff was a bit of a refresher for me, but man, it hit the feels just as hard as the first time I watched it. But what are what are your thoughts overall on the second half? And then we'll talk about the show as a whole after that. Yeah, so I know last time I said that I was pretty lukewarm um, going into the first half of the series, but once we started the second half and I guess the the show kind of shifted in tone and, um, and setting and even with plot, uh, I thought it was a nice refresher um, and I found it a lot more engaging than the first half where you know the team is is the fighting this force but then you realize like oh there's more things that play um afterwards so and i thought that was a really unique thing for this series to do and that's not something that you see commonly i would assume in anime or even in in tv shows in general the way i describe it is like the show matured in the second yeah. half which i think is intentional because simone is a kid in the first half a kid who has no confidence, he he relies very heavily on Kamina, blah, blah, blah. And then you go into the second half um, where obviously there's a time skip. So physically and I'm sure mentally because of the time skip, he's matured. But also he just has so much more responsibility and he realizes that he can, you know, he, he is capable of doing something because he defeated Lord Genome or Genome or however you say his name. Um so yeah, I felt like the themes overall in the second half were way more mature, way more compelling. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think it makes sense. I think it, it's it's aligned to where Simone is at in his life. And I think another thing that the show does well is even though get like it's it's a new new setting, like I said, and um, new environment for the characters, it's still pretty consistent um, with themes that were carried over from the first half. Um, and that, kind of touch upon this later but I mentioned in the last podcast that I think confidence and, and like self-esteem was a driving theme in the first half and you still kind of see that here along with this overarching theme of just escalation um, escalation and not only what the true threat the team has to face but also escalation in like what does Simone have to do now that he has this new threat and what does he have to tap into himself um, to address that so, again, it's it's good that the show's still consistent with what it's trying to, I guess, convey to the audience in that sense. Um, and again, it's something that you don't see commonly in, in shows now. I personally don't like time skips because when you're so invested in a character or a group of characters or a storyline and then you don't get to see this whole middle section mm-hmm. um, or you have to relive it through memories or, you know, kind of like this puzzle piece 
type of situation. I don't like it. But the Gurren Lagann time skip, I think, worked because you had a close to the first arc in the story. So you didn't have kind of like that empty feeling or that, that one, that cliffhanger almost. It was like a time skip. And like they did a very good job of like right off the bat, here's where everyone's at. Here's who fell in love. Here's who's getting married. Here's who's having kids. Like here's where everyone's at. Um, and then they also showed you some quick flashbacks too. Like here's what happened to Yoko and, and why she's not here with the group right now. Um, and so they, they wasted no time kind of making you wonder. They're like, look, okay, we're doing a time skip. It's going to make sense. We're just going to lay it all out right from the beginning so that you don't feel like there's this big gap or this big thing that you're missing. So I thought the time skip with this worked really, really well. Yeah, for me, it, it took me a while to get used to the time skip because it it felt like really sudden. And I like you said, it, it does, like the first half does kind of close it off with a sort of finality where once that first half is over and you go into the second half, it kind of just makes you jump right in. Um, and part of me was like, maybe there should have been a couple episodes where you you see that gradual transition. Because um, the way I looked at it, it was like the first half was like all action and then second half, it became almost more of a slightly political drama. But as, a, as I watched more of the second half, I think I, I felt more comfortable with just accepting the time skip as it is because um, I would have rather, like, at first I was like, like I said, maybe we could have seen the team kind of establish, like, see them establish this new world and this new society. Um, but we see right away in the first episode that they already have, like, a council, council set up and there's already a bludgeoning, or bur- what is, what's the word? Like, flourishing population. And I think it's better that we just see that instead of, if this were to just show that transition from the team to this whole city, um, it probably would have been a slow burn. So I think for them to have started with this time skip now and then just jump into the the threat at hand um, was a good choice for the showrunners to make. Yeah, and it was extra special the first time I watched it. And I think for, for my generation of weebs, because that was when I was a teenager, like probably like the show came out probably when I was somewhere between 16 to 18 years old. I can't remember the, the exact year it came out. Um, but that's like a very, that's a very um, uncertain time in, in your adolescence, right? Like you're not quite an adult, but you're not really a kid anymore either. So you're watching Simone as a kid kind of discover himself, find his confidence, kind of grow into the, the man that he becomes in the second half. Um, and it's it, first of all, it's 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 extra feels because you're growing up with Simone. You like mm-hmm. actually watch him grow up and mature, both physically and, and mentally and emotionally. Uh, but then also like that resonates with you at that age, right? Because again, you're in that weird you're in that weird space. So yeah, you can relate with kid Simone, and you can also relate with um, young adult Simone. So. I think that that's what made this show extra special for me is that I happened to watch it at a time in my life where it, it felt super relatable or the, the, the struggles or the themes that Simone goes through, I could easily kind of uh, see that in, in myself or in my life. Yeah, and I think for the demographic, as I mentioned in the last podcast, the show really does well at like nailing those, I guess, those check boxes for the key audience that's watching the series. Like you said, uh, when this came out in '07, you were probably what fresh out of junior high, high school. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And yeah, like I said, confidence, self-esteem, it's a big part of the show. Again, the character, like you're literally growing up with the characters. Um, for me, I didn't have that luxury, obviously, because this was the first time that I watched uh, Gurren Lagann. And well, I appreciate, again, I appreciate that the show delves into those themes. Um, but for me, looking at it holistically, even though I really liked this second half of this season or second half of the series over the first um it just still felt like there was something something missing and i think that's probably because i've been privileged with seeing a lot of other anime um in the modern day before coming back to this this classic anime and seeing it seeing it with that lens um yeah i think the second half does give the show stronger note to finish on for me but i still feel like there's there's something missing where i can't really appreciate it the way that you and your friends had appreciated it but um maybe we can discuss that a little little down the the line with this podcast so yeah well let's let's dive into the episode so i think our our format that we're kind of settling on here because we are still new to this whole podcast game and trying to figure out our our structure or rhythm but i think what's been working well hopefully um you'll kind of take us through each of the episodes in the second half of the show and we'll just chime in about the episode so that for those listening for those listening they have a refresher for what's happening in in the latter half of the season episode by episode but then also we can talk live as we're talking through that part of the the show Mm -hmm. about our thoughts or or anything that we we noted yeah so i guess we can jump into it right away um just to give a brief summary again gurren lagan known in japan as dengen topak gurren lagan is a Japanese mecha anime te- television series animated by Gainax and co-produced by Anaplex and Konami, which ran for 27 episodes between April 1, 2007 and September 30th, 2007. Starting off with our part two is episode 17, which is titled You Don't Know Anything. Jon Snow. <laughs> Seven years have passed since the Battle of Tepelin, and a new civilization has arisen from its ruins. Kamina City, populated by both humans and beastmen, and obviously named after R.I.P. Kamina. Simone becomes supreme commander with Team Gurren as his counsel. Recalling Jet Black the Spiral King's final words, a probe has been sent to the moon, and Rocio uses the technology at hand to monitor the city's population before it hits one million. Simone proposes to Nia because no one saw that coming, and a viral gone rogue is finally arrested, even though he was trying to protect the humans still living underground and away from the ominous threat. Heo of the Black Siblings, however, gives birth to the millionth human being, and a strange mecha emerges from a portal in the sky to attack the city. Simone gets back into battle with Gurren Lagan to destroy the mecha, which shatters into energy blocks that detonate upon impact with the surrounding buildings. To make matters worse, a possessed hologram of the MIA, known as NIA, appears in the sky, and on that day, mankind received a grim reminder that the anti-spirals have determined humanity to become an extreme threat and are activating the human extermination system. The only comment I had about this first episode, I think it was the first episode, mm-hmm. is that the citizens are just, like, so fucking ungrateful. Just, like, so ungrateful how they, like, immediately are like, what are you doing to save us? You're just ruining our city. You need to stop, blah, blah, Well, it's like, mm-hmm. Simone could just not protect you and you would all die. Or he could protect you and, yeah, there's going to be some damage to your homes, but at least you're alive. And also, like, if Simone had didn't do, and t- Team Gurren um, didn't do what they did, 
you'd also be living underground. You wouldn't have these luxuries that you have, you know, seven years later. Like, I don't know. They were just so incredibly ungrateful. And I'm like, dude, come on. Yeah. And I guess I can kind of see it because if seven years have passed, uh, I'm sure like the society at large has, has been kind of complacent in that they haven't really seen, they haven't really experienced any of the threats that Team Gurn or the predecessors had faced with all the, the, the warring between the Beastmen and the humans, right? Yeah. And so, like, all of a sudden they're presented with this huge threat and, and they don't know what to do because obviously they don't have any experience with it. And so, like, the council is trying to, yeah, calm the citizens down. But they, like I said, they don't know firsthand what it was like to have been in the throes of battle with these gunmen and these Beastmen. Yeah, that's, like, so... To me, that's so telling that, like, these you know team Gurren put everything on the line in order to to give you the life that you have and the fact that you there's such a lack of trust and a, a lack of, of belief in them um it's just like i don't know something about that just like irked me so much i'm like if they mm-hmm. didn't do any of this you wouldn't have any of this like i get that maybe you didn't see it firsthand or you don't you don't you weren't there but you can you still have critical thinking skills at least i would hope these citizens do and you mm-hmm. should still be able to understand that like you know sacrifices were made for you and you're very lucky to to have what you have i don't know just like they were so quick to turn and i was like ah what is happening here Mm -hmm. it just made me really annoyed but that's the only thing i I wanted to comment on with that first episode yeah at the same time one other thing i wanted to comment is that um it was kind of strange seeing the team act as this like governmental body because like i said like we've only seen them in action um, with them piloting uh, the Beastmen, or not the Beastmen, piloting the Gunmen, facing off against the Beastmen, and now all of a sudden they have to um, be the leaders of a society when they probably don't have any political experience. Yeah, right? I, I think the way they explained it in the show, which I think was somewhat, not a, not a throwaway, but they, they probably should have spent a little more time talking about it, because that, it's the whole reason that the anti-spiral come after them. Mm-hmm. Um, it in seven years they've built this entire civilization. Their population has exploded, and like they have this incredible technology when they were literally just living underground. The whole I think the whole point of the the anti or anti spiral I can't remember how I prefer to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, their whole deal with with wanting to exterminate humanity is because they they evolved too quickly. So I think the fact that they have suddenly like developed this political prowess and have built these societies, um, and these these crazy buildings and, and whatnot is playing into the fact that again, like they, they move very quickly more mm-hmm. quickly than what the anti-spiral is comfortable with. Yeah. And again, alluding back to just the time jump, it probably wasn't comfortable for me seeing them in the, in that political situation, just because we hadn't like, this is the first time we're seeing them um, seven years later. Right. So it took a while to get adjusted to, but I think it was clear too just seeing, I think, Simone in this episode that he really didn't feel comfortable himself being in this position of power as Supreme Commander. Because, again, I think he missed he misses the thrill of actually being out on the battlefield, on the front lines, um, defending humanity at whatever the cost. But I think Rocio and a couple of the other members are trying to tell him, like, no, like, this is what you have to do now. Like, we like civilization still need like it needs a leader um and a face that they can 
look up to or in this case like uh protest against yeah right um but it was rem- reminiscent of like there are a couple of shows and games where the protagonist like has to leave a certain life behind but then he they yearn to go back to it um the most recent i can think of is uh and light spoilers for uncharted um but uncharted for the protagonist nathan drake like he basically hangs up his adventurers um his, his adventurous life for good but then he's got he gets pulled back into it and that's what you kind of see with Simone here is like he's he wants that to see that action again yeah and honestly a lot of these things just kind of fall in his lap like him being the leader of team Gurren, like that just kind of fell in his lap when Kamina died um mm-hmm. but it resonated with him because that's what Kamina's passion was so he wanted to embody that this i think just fell in his lap because he led the team so i'm guessing you know in that time skip they they thought it was a natural fit for him to also lead the the new society or whatever um but is that really what he wants and then right. we'll we'll touch on that in a little bit yeah because in that case he has like the skills to be a leader but it's not being applied correctly in this case because again he's not familiar with political processes he's his leadership skills are more geared towards again spurring a team into action um and I think we'll continue to see that uh, as the series goes on to its ultimate finale. Um, but continuing onward with episode 18, Tell Me the Secrets of This World, Feminist City is in an uproar after hearing Nia's apocalyptic message. While Siu activates a biocomputer that turns out to be a reanimated head of Jet Black the Spiral King. He explains with the help of Nia that spiral power is the key to evolution and the anti-spirals feared that its overuse would be- lead to the destruction of the universe. It is then revealed that Jet Black, the Spiral King, was actually defending the world from the anti-spirals. But thanks to Team Gurren's heroics, the moon is due to crash on Earth in three weeks as he prophesied. Two more of the strange mecha, now referred to as Mugan, appear to attack the city again, but Grapril's squadron neutralizes the threat. An angry mob gathers in front of the government building demanding and probably furiously tweeting that someone be held accountable. So Rosio orders his troops to arrest Simon. And one comment I wanted to make here is just seeing that former villains have now become are starting to become allies because with uh the spiral king lord genome obviously we learned that he was protecting earth from this bigger threat and just that dynamic i thought was really interesting and um kind of rem- reminiscent for me again looking at modern animes of attack on titan how there's a change in wh- how we view the titans and who ultimately is the true threat um, in that world. So, episode 19, we will survive by any means necessary. Rara Rocio, as judge, jury, and executioner, sentences Simon to death in a kangaroo court. Nia shows up to crash the party and reminds everyone of their doom, and Simon notices that she is still wearing the engagement ring he gave to her. She disappears as a new Mugan shows up to threaten Littner Village. Rara Rocio allows Simon to use Gurren Lagan to take down this threat, but under strict supervision, aka he'll blow Simon up if he tries anything funny. Rara Rocio announces to the surface world that they are all to take refuge in underground shelters, while the citizens of Kamina will board Noah's Ark Gurren. See what I did there? For refuge. The Mugan is destroyed after Liron finds a way to properly neutralize it, and Simon is escorted back to prison to await his execution. Good thing Viral is there to comfort him in this absolute shit show of a situation. In episode 20, How Far Will God Test Us? 
Leon reveals to Ra Ra Rosu that when the moon crashes, literally everyone is going to die regardless of whether or not they take up shelter underground. Ra Ra Rosu decides that Noah's Ark Gurren will launch into space until Earth becomes habitable again. Team Gurren fights off the Mugan attacking Noah's Ark Gurren as it preps for launch. With a tight 30 minute window, however, Noah's Ark Gurren takes off and basically tells everyone left behind to fuck off. Back at the prison, Nia appears to Simone and Viral and taunts them of their imminent death and absolute despair until Yoko arrives on the scene to shut that shit down. This is the episode where, so wait, this is the episode where Roshu, like, has, like, that inner conflict, right? I think so, and we just start to see him develop as, like, this secondary antagonist. Yeah, like, this, it's either this episode or the next episode, but essentially I thought it was interesting that, you know, we, we, you know develop this relationship as a viewer with Roshu and, and we see him come around from his you know very tight-knit village situation to him being you know one of the heroes of, of Team Gurren and piloting Gurren Lagan with Simone and then the time skip happens and then they they flip that and say he's gone corrupt and and he's distrusting of Simone blah 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 blah, blah. but they make you feel so conflicted because at the beginning you're like Roshu what the fuck you suck now like what the hell are you doing and then as the, as the episodes go on and you, you realize that he's making the tough calls that maybe Simone wasn't brave enough or wasn't in tune enough to make, um, or at least he thinks he's making the tough calls, it's you start to remember that he actually is a good character and that he hasn't totally lost who he was in the first part of the show. Because they switch from showing him in a greedy light, hungry for power and betrayal, to what's really the reality of leadership and the the difficult decisions he bears by being this pseudo leader or you know the new leader after Simone is arrested, um, it's kind of like the consequence of his desire for power. Um, you know there are good good and bad things that come with wanting what are whatever it is you desire in life, and we're seeing that with Roshu. And at the end of the day, again, you're reminded that he's not a bad person at heart because the decisions he's making are for the betterment or for the the best outcome for humanity. Um, even if, really, at the end of the day, they weren't the right decisions, Simon obviously made the right decision. Yeah, and I think, yeah, I'm not sure if it was this episode or previous ones or later ones, but there's a parallel that's made with Rocio's actions and the actions of... Um, who was it that that village priest from the town he came from? Yeah. Um, in terms of the having to, uh, what was it monitor the population before it becomes too much, and like you said, I think Rosio, of all the members of Team Gurren, he's like the one who's most apt to take on like this political leadership role, um, and like you had mentioned, like even though the show wants you to paint him as this this sort of antagonist and this is something I wanted to kind of discuss later on but he becomes like almost like a the tragic character of the show where he has to make these tough calls and like you said it has it, he's doing this for the betterment of humanity even though it looks really horrendous in the the short term like he's thinking of it in the long term and I think that's where you kind of see like a, a, a polar opposite of him versus Simon, because Simon is more of someone, like even though he looks the future, he's still someone who kind of acts in the moment. Um, and then Rocio is more like he's 
more calculated and wants to make sure that everything, um, like all the pieces are coming together correctly before they can move on with the right decision. Um, so yeah, like I said, I, I'll touch upon Rosio a little bit later, but yeah, right now he's kind of a dick. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the only other thing I wanted to comment too about this part of, of the, uh, the show is I found it interesting that um, they make it very clear that some people don't want to change and want to keep living underground, even after most are on the surface. Um, I just think it's... I, I really don't know what I feel about that. I just thought it was interesting. Like, there's... You know, humanity and society is moving forward at such a rapid pace, but you are going to have those people who are very comfortable where they are. Like, you, it, I think it just reminds you not to assume that everyone wants the same thing mm-hmm. um not everyone wants to be on the surface like they have as long as they have the choice and they have the facts at hand and they can make a well educated decision for themselves then it should be what it is at the end of the day but roshu obviously wanted to force everyone above ground so that he could keep a, a, a tabs on the population versus trying to find another way to keep tabs on the population while still accommodating those who didn't want to change their whole world and, and move to the surface. So that's another thing I just wanted to comment on. I thought it was interesting. Yeah, actually, like, even in the first episode of this second part, like, we see, like, Viral um, kind of protecting those citizens who want to stay underground. And that like that's another instance of, again are the antagonists really antagonists anymore, right? Um, but like you said, Rosu is tries to become more calculated in his approaches, and you can't have humanity living underground if you can't keep tabs on them. Um, so, you know, it, it's like that, that moral gray area, I guess, for him. I think what's interesting, though, is that humanity can't keep tabs on the number of the in, in the population yet somehow the anti-spiral know immediately when the millionth human is born mm-hmm. obviously they didn't flush that out maybe maybe they did in the manga maybe they did in the anime and it went over my head but it's just interesting that like they are able to know like the second the millionth human is born yet humans themselves can't figure out a way to determine what the population count is so i don't know that's just interesting but and the anti-spiral is like supposed to be a, a really advanced, intelligent race, right? No, I think they're just humans who realized that humanity moving that quickly would actually destroy the universe. So mm. they they put themselves into this slumber, and then wanted to suppress the rest of humanity. I could be wrong. It's a very mm. confusing ending, which we'll yeah. talk about. But I think that's what happened. <laughs> yeah, or just Iraqi forgot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so moving on in episode 21, you are someone who ought to survive. In case you were wondering where Yoko and her anime titties were in all of this, Yoko decided to leave the city early on after showing disinterest in government work. She takes up an alias as a grade school teacher named Yomako on a small island and forms a close bond with a bullied boy named Nakim. A gunman shows up to threaten the island since Earth is doomed anyways, but Yoko reveals her true self apprehends the pilots, and returns to Communist City to join the fight once more. At the prison, she frees Simon and Viral, and Kitan arrives to give Simon his core drill, originally taken from him by Ra Ra Rosiu. Viral agrees, agrees to pilot Gurren Lagan with Simon, and they, along with Team Gurren, prepare to face off against the Mugan Armada in space. In a, I, oh, I The only thing I want to say about this episode, um, 
well, two things. I think I thought it was very mature of Yoko to want to just live a, a quiet life helping children and helping, you know, the families on the island, especially after everything that she had been through with, with Team Gurren. Um, I don't like that she cut ties with them necessarily and that they didn't really know where she was, but I did appreciate mm-hmm. her wanting to live that, that quiet life because she was so young in, in the first part and, and I think grew a lot through the experience, especially when she lost Kamina, when they all lost Kamina. Um, that obviously hit her second to how bad it hit Simone. Um, so I don't know, just something about that was very pleasant. Uh, I don't know, like it's, I think it's unexpected for her type of character who's a badass, who's got big-ass anime titties, and um, is looted by everybody. <laughs> she would make such mm-hmm. a mature and like um, very quaint decision for, for her life. And go back to it, which, not to jump too far ahead, but even returns to that life. Like, that is really what she wants. Because um, I imagine that a lot of these these people, prior to the surface being liberated, were forced into these situations where they had to learn how to, you know, how to fight and had to learn how to use weaponry and protect their, their villages and all that. And so maybe that's not what she wanted at the end of the day. So now she finally gets to have what she wants, and that's the... Uh, Yoshikage Kira quiet life yeah it's true like she can finally have something that resembles some kind of peace after all the the stuff that she had to go through um but I thought like it her being this teacher and then eventually having to go back into her old identity as Yoko just made that reveal to those villagers even stronger yeah, because I love that in the history books and, like, what the society is, is taught, which makes sense. I, I think it's totally totally fair that, you know, Team Gurren, like, they're they're basically, like, these heroes. They they liberated the surface. They did it all by themselves um, and gave humanity what, what they wanted. So I loved seeing that she was in those history books and that she was, be, like, her story was being taught to the kids. Um, and, like, they were so excited to, to kind of learn or discover who, what her true identity is. Um, cause I, that's, that, I think that was opposite of what I was seeing with the ungrateful citizens in like the first episode or two mm-hmm. where they forget again, like what team Gurren went through to, to give them what they have. And like here it's like, it's a part of history. It's part of society. And I think that's kind of a unique concept too, because history always feels so far away. Right. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of people that you learn about in history is like, they're, they're long gone and and that's about it but this this history is still so recent that these people are still in existence and and i don't know it's something about it it was, it was a really cool concept I, I really enjoyed that yeah it actually didn't catch on that kind of almost polar opposites between the citizens in the city and then the, the kids in the village again the kids in the village they seem to appreciate history like they understand it more than than the city does um but another thing is like you would think like Yoko almost has that mythic mythical character in their history books. Like they would recognize her right away. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was just a, right. a, a, con- a plot convenience. Yeah. Cause it's almost like, was it Superman becoming Clark Kent just because he, he wears glasses? Yeah. Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, you can see that. You can see that's Yoko from a mile away. If her titty didn't give it away. <laughs> uh, episode, 22, that is my last duty. Gurren Lagan decimates half of the Mugans attacking Ark Gurren until a cannon from the moon fires an energy blast. Simone works on neutralizing it, and of course, more cannons pop up just to fuck with him some more. 
Liron gives Simon the idea to combine Gurren Lagan with Noah's Arc Gurren, and it evolves into the Pokegunman Arc Gurren Lagan. Simon and Viral punch the remaining Mugan so hard that they tear a hole in the space-time continuum. The moon is revealed to be Jet Black the Spiral King's old flagship, the Cathedral Terra, and he encourages Simon to use his drill to control the ship, until Nia arrives just in time to remind everyone, yet again, that they're still fucked. Simon says, not under my watch, and vows to save his fiancée too, giving Nia a glimmer of hope as she is recalled to the anti-spiral homeworld. Simon drives his Giga Drill into the Cathedral Terra and saves Zawardo. In episode 23, let's go, this is the final battle. One week later, Liron gathers Team Guren and breaks out and explain, like I'm five, PowerPoint presentation about Cathedral Terra, Spiral Power, and the Anti-Spirals. Ra Ra Rossio, realizing that he's a failure compared to Simon, returns to his home village of Adai and reconnects with Father Majin before he decides to end hero himself. Simon catches word of this and arrives just in time to punch Rossio out of committing suicide, much like how Kamina punched Simon out of losing hope. They reconcile with each other and return to Kamina City, where Jet Black the Spiral King explains that Nia's engagement ring is the key to finding the anti-spiral homeworld. Team Gurren assembles on the Super Galaxy Dai Gurren, prepared to do whatever it takes to bring back the people that Thanos snapped out of existence. JK, wrong universe. This was cool. The end of this episode. Well, first of all, I, mm-hmm. I, I like that we see history repeat itself in the sense that... Twice, we, I think. The way... Right. Yeah. And particularly the way Kamina, quote-unquote, saved Simone in the middle of the battle by punching him. Um, we see Simone do that same thing to Roshu, even after Roshu, like, betrayed him and all this stuff because Simone knows who Roshu is at the end of the day, like, who he is, you know, again, on the inside, that he is a good person with good intentions and that he is a, a part of Team Gurren. Um, so it's just kind of cool to see, uh, yet again, something that Kamina taught quote-unquote Simone he's able to use that to save somebody else's life um and then at the end of this episode I love love the end of this episode where you get that cool shot of everyone on the Arker in and team Gurren's back together and Yoko's in her, her new white outfit and Simone's in his new like badass Kamina replica outfit with with like the the long coat that looks like a cape and then he has like the the glasses that look like an upgraded version of Kamina's glasses, and he like puts them on, which is very reminiscent of like when Simone would put on his goggles when he was ready to drill, or or you know kind of take mm-hmm. on a challenge. He does that again here with with his Kamina esque glasses as he's ready to pierce the heavens and go rescue Nia and, and stop this threat. I just I love these repeating themes. It's like what ha- like history I think is is a common theme in this show where you know it constantly is repeating itself the things that that people were taught in the beginning of the show continue to resonate and continue to come back um and it just there's so many callbacks and and ways that they they pay respect to, to different characters in different situations from earlier in the show mm-hmm. i just love that like i think that's a cool way to um keep everything that we experience in the first half alive in the second half even though it's um a new thread and kind of a new situation yeah, so I think here, obviously, we finally get to see, like, all at the very beginning shot of the series, um, that fi- the figure who ends up calling out Gurren Lagan that turns out to be Simon in this case. And, I don't know, when I first watched the show, I thought, like, oh, is that just an alternate universe kind of thing? But then now it makes sense, like, it, it's Simon who's who calls out Gurren Lagan that first shot. 
then you see the Avengers Assemble thing at the end of this episode. And really quick, and that's why the narrator always says this is a story of a man who mm. blah, 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 which of course all of us thought in the beginning was about Kamina, but then we realized after the time skip, oh, when he says this is a story about a man, even when Simone was a kid, it, it actually is about Simone. Yeah. Um, and again, to go off your uh, theme of like history repeating itself in this show, like the first instance obviously was when Simone like punch the shit out of Rocio to get him back to his senses. Uh, the second thing I wanted to bring up, and we brought this up previously, is where Rocio goes back to his home, like his home village, and reconnects with the village chief. And they kind of have like a a moment where, uh, like Rocio kind of realizes like the error of his ways. Um, and in this case, it's almost like here history is like repeating itself but it's also like the cycle is breaking in that sense because obviously the population control thing wasn't working and like the history is that cycle is broken when again Simon has to get him to come back get Rocio to come back to his senses so um yeah a lot of history that's being repeated and broken in this episode but like you said it, it helps things feel alive in the second half and almost viewed in a fresh perspective. And to your point, point about Roshi, as we're talking about this, I realized that the village leader, what's his name again? Majin or something? Majin. Yeah. Um, Majin Buu. When he, <laughs> uh, when Roshi reconnects with him, we we look back, uh, so we, we reflect on his situation against Roshi's current situation where Majin also had to make the tough decisions in order for what he believed was the better of, of um, the village when they lived underground, even if it meant sacrificing a few people for population control. Mm-hmm. And here is Roshu also trying to do some sort of population control to ensure that the anti-spiral don't come and attack everybody. Um, and I also think what's really interesting about this part is that Roshu struggles because he feels like he needs to have all of the answers in order to be a good leader. But then he realizes mm-hmm. that Majin didn't have all the answers, yet he was, to a certain degree, a good leader. Um, or arguably, I guess you could say, a, a good leader. Because we find out he couldn't even read, yet he was using this quote-unquote religious text to lead the people, um, mm-hmm. or as the basis of his leadership. So it just, I think re- I think it made Rosha realize, like, it's okay not to have all the answers all the time. You learn as you go, and you have to be flexible, and you need to be able to adapt um, and that, you know, the answers will come to you eventually, but you don't need all of them right then and there to be a good leader. And one of those answers could be a punch to the face. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, and Simone gave him that answer. Um, episode 24, I'll never forget this minute, this second. Once again, Nia's hologram interrupts Team Gurren's daily programming, and they find themselves facing off against stone mask battleships in space. The team takes care of the smaller ships while Simon tries to combine the Art Gurren Lagan with the Super Galaxy Die Gurren, but has to wait through a lengthy software update. As we wait, we are treated to a Rogue One-like sequence where nearly everybody on Team Gurren dies defending the ship. The Super Galaxy Die Gurren finally finishes installing the update, but space gravity pulls them into a deep ocean-like abyss where it loses its spiral power. Probably should have paid their electric bill. In episode 25, I accept your last wish. The ocean turns out to be a death spiral field that converts spiral power into super dense matter. Kitan, Yoko, Jimmy, Dari, John, Paul, Ringo, and George come out to fight off the anti-spiral ships attacking the super galaxy Daiguren 
until they are overwhelmed. Buta, the tiny pig mole, joins Viral in Gurren Lagann's cockpit and gives the gunman enough spiral power to reboot. Kitan sacrifices himself and executes a Giga Drill Break to destroy the Death Spiral machine generating the field, which converts all the matter into enough spiral power to revolve the ship into the super galaxy Gurren Lagann. Shit's about to get real, yo. So Kitan, this episode, he dies. <laughs> and it's, it's rough because he was never a Kamina, but he was like a Kamina. And he was a good brother. And it's like all this stuff. And like he was a fun character. And that was rough to see mm-hmm. him die. Obviously, we knew it was coming. The, again, history repeats itself. And there's this moment between him and Yoko because he knows he's about to die. And he makes that sacrifice play. Um and it's very emotional and I don't know it's just it was rough it was rough seeing that part because um, he, he's a, a special character I think that, that a lot of people really like and you see like all of these characters like you don't really I can't say like you identify with those other members of Team Grimm but they all literally die within like two episodes yeah. which is just crazy and obviously like Kitans is the most like significant of all of them but yeah and it's it's rough too because he's got three sisters that he's leaving behind and a, a, a brand new niece Mm-hmm. Um, but what was interesting is that, and for, for veteran viewers, I think you'll, you, maybe you, you've heard this joke, but after Kitan died, people were talking about like the Yoko curse, basically it don't kiss Yoko or you'll fucking die. <laughs> like that was the curse. Kamina kissed her and then he, he died like immediately and Sorry, then Kitan <laughs> kissed her. And then he died immediately. So it was good that Simon like kind of stayed away from all that. I know, right? Because then Simon would have died immediately. So that was that was a joke back then. It was like Yoko's curse. You kiss her, you're dying. <laughs> Damn. In episode twenty six, let's go, buddy. Super Galaxy Gurren Lagann destroys one of the Stone Mask battleships, and a battle of galactic proportions ensues. The voice of the Anti Spiral warns that if evolution continues its course, it will create a black hole that will eliminate the universe, aka the Spiral Nemesis. Simone knows this is the truth, but says, Fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. The team finds Nia, but the Anti Spiral leads them into a multiverse trap where they will remain as long as they retain their intelligence. Also, Buta pulls a Peter Pettigrew and becomes a humanoid, which is very jarring. Yeah, that was. that was fucking weird. Yeah, I, I didn't understand the point of it, but. I think it was just to show the anti-spirals powers or like the 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 sp- really the spirals powers to to invoke evolution and, and development like very mm-hmm. very fast, but yeah, it, it missed the mark. That was yeah. weird. Because at first I thought like, oh, is this like Buddha's secret identity? But yeah, I don't really understand the point of him besides showing off the anti-spirals powers. Like, okay. Yeah, they could have found another way to do that. I just I I. I disliked that almost as much as I disliked episode four. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Continuing on. In Simon's alternate universe where he and Kamina are notorious jewel thieves, a specter of the real Kamina appears to tell Simon to continue fighting the good fight. Simon and the rest of the gang come back to their senses and Team Gurren emerges from Nia's engagement ring for some reason to kick some anti-spiral ass once and for all. So this episode... Probably one of my favorite of the last half of the the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and a couple of things here. So Kamina with Simone. Not the whole, like, you know... Fake universe. Yeah, fake universe, like, thievery type thing. But afterwards, when the real Kamina shows up, I'm just like, this is what could have been. This is what should have been. Simone, like, 
with his his blood brother. He's grown up. He's matured thanks to to Kamina. I mean, Kamina even comments on the fact like, "Oh, you you got taller than me. Like, when did that happen or whatever?" And I'm like, "Oh, it just hurt so bad. Like, talk about stabbing you right in the feels." Mm-hmm. This part, this whole episode, like when when they go into this this dream state, was just ugh, multiple stabs to the feels. It just it. I'm glad that they did it though. I'm I'm certainly mm-hmm. not upset because we would just always be left wondering like what could have been like what would have their relationship relationship been like what would have their what would their dynamic have been like and here we get a taste of that and it's a great confirmation to say even as simone grows up and gets older um kamina still is and will always be such a, a pivotal part of his life and such a huge inspiration for him the fact that like kamina rips him out of this dream state and and saves him and gives him that motivation yet again it's like Oh, it was amazing. The first time I watched it, I was like, there he is. Kamina's back. Like, oh my God, it hurt so much. And then we move into Yoko's part where, um, where we see her kind of go through some weird sequence and there's like a bunch of like TV episode shots or whatever. And then it shows her about to marry Kitan. And thinking back to when the show first aired, there were some, there was some debate among the shippers on who Yoko actually loved. And was it Kamina that she actually loved? Was it Kitan that she actually loved? And no offense, but I think it's pretty clear in this scene that Yoko did not love Kitan. Like, she cared about him, of course, Mm -hmm. but she wasn't in love with him because as we're about to see her and Kamina, or sorry, her and Kitan get married and, like, share that kiss in this little TV situation or whatever, she turns it off. And we see her reflection as soon as the screen goes dark and her face is blank. She, like, there's no emotion there. There's no, she's neither happy nor upset. It's just, that that's, that's not the reality she wants or ever wanted. And she knows that. And then she looks over and she's next to Kamina. And that moment between her and Kamina was way more heartfelt than anything that was shown on that TV or anything that he, her and Kitan had ever been with. And I think Kitan probably knew that too. I think he just wanted to quote unquote go out with a bang. Um, and you know, if you're about to die, you know, why not kiss somebody that you're attracted to, I guess, or, or do something similar to that, you know, have that human connection in your last moment. Mm-hmm. So again, I, I know I ship the shit out of Yoko and Kamina, but I think the show is also making it clear to us in that moment that she wasn't in love with him. She cared a lot about Kitan, but her love, you know, even seven years into the future still lies with Kamina. And the other part that I like about this episode is with Viral, the fact that they, they humanize him. Because we don't know anything about this guy. Mm-hmm. I think it's fantastic that he becomes an ally um, and that he pilots Gurren Lagan with Simone even after trying to kill him. Um, but this part I thought resonated really, really strongly with me because this is the only time we get a glimpse into who he is and we find out either he had a family and they're all gone for whatever reason, or he wanted a family. Maybe he had like this this woman that he loved, um, and that 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 dream state wa- was the reality he wanted so bad for for his life, but never got to have. Um, so it just it made him it really rounded him out as a character. I already started to like him like as the second half was going, and, and he made his reappearance. But this I think really sold it for me. Like I was like, yes, I'm Team Viral. Like he's great. He is a, a complete person and, you know, he could be this person who wants vengeance and holds a grudge, but instead, um, you know, 
reconciles the past and, and wants to help bring everyone to the future. So I like this episode a lot. I thought there was so much great stuff that happened, so many feels that happened, and probably one of my favorites for this this show. Oh, yeah, that, it definitely packs a lot for being the penultimate episode of the series. Um, like you said, like you see all these alternate realities for each of these characters, but as you had mentioned with Simon seeing the or reconnecting with like the ghosts of the real Kamina um, and kind of Yoko coming to her senses, like it's Kamina who has to break. Like he has been the driving force in the whole series and he's the one to kind of break these characters out of that, those fake realities and remind them again, like what they truly need to, to fight for. Um, and <laughs> I realize now that there's actually like two, uh, kind of Harry Potter-like references in this in this episode. The first one, obviously, with Buta becoming like a Peter Pettigrew where he suddenly beca- becomes like a human. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with... Nope, I don't like <laughs> Harry Potter. Well, yeah, I like... mean, keep going, but I'm, I have no idea what you're talking about. No, no, yeah. Peter Pettigrew was this character in Harry Potter who was actually... He was first like a rat, and then eventually like you find out like this rat is a human who's actually a very bad villain. Um... But the, the second reference with this is obviously the whole sequence with Simon um, in the alternate universe and him bumping into Kamina. Very similar to an equally as powerful scene in the last Harry Potter book or, or last movie where Harry meets with Dumbledore in this like almost dreamlike state. And again, I think both scenes, or like this scene is powerful because again it's it's reminding Simon like what is most important like the team team Gurren can't just allow themselves to be stuck in this anti-spiral um, multiverse where they just become drones basically um, but again you have this character Kamina who's again been that driving force for each of these characters to continue going on and and realize what their ultimate goal is so um it kind of brings again the whole series full circle with Kamina making that one that one last cameo to give to give the team like that last push of effort yeah it showed mad respect to Kamina I mean that Mm -hmm. again like that's the one thing I love about this show is history is such a an important part of it and respect I think in like honoring those who you know have have sacrificed like those themes I think just make this show really really compelling it's not just a mecha anime it's like there's such deep shit that happens in the show and like the fact that you only see Kamina for eight episodes yet he is so important to you as the viewer even to the the last few episodes of the of the mm-hmm. of the show even even though you haven't seen him really throughout the the entire series after he passed away like he's just so important because the show keeps reminding us of how important he is to to the story and to the characters right because even in this second half like the only instances you'll first have like hear mention of Kamina is like oh they named the city after him and they had that statue Uh, that the ungrateful people tore down like oh my god it was atrocious right (laughs) um so it in that sense it's almost like like okay it's nice that they're paying homage to him but it's all like I don't know if is the team like not realizing or remembering like the significance of why he like like why the city is named after him or why they put up these statues but then you have this episode where it's like 
no, like, this is why Kamina is so important. Like, he knows truly what what the team needs to do and the, the good that they need to fight for um, to snap back into their senses and, and stop themselves from, like, being stuck in this multiverse that's that they're being trapped in by the anti-spiral. Um, yeah, because Kamina's whole thing was never to be submissive. He always right. wanted to go for something greater. And, like, another theme here, it's, like, don't be submissive to the anti-spiral. Anti-spiral, I keep, I'll switch, I keep switching back and forth on how I say it. But, um, and, yeah, he, he comes back to remind them, like, sub- submission is not who we are. We're here to to have the best and, and brightest lives. Yeah, another thing with this episode that was great was their use of the the row row fight the power song when they all start to oh my god yeah talk about like like, intensifying the feels like yes i love that song right because they are they are in this sense fighting a power which is the anti-spiral power um so very very effective use of of the music um in that sequence and to conclude we have episode 27 the lights in the sky are stars after its grand entrance from Nia's engagement ring, all of Team Gurren combines to form the final Pokegunmon evolution. The anti-spiral responds with its own gunman as both forces fight over the fate of the universe. The duel crosses several galaxies until it is visible to Earth, and Tengentopa Gurren Lagan pulls out all stops to take, out, take down the anti-spiral until it deteriorates to its original form. Simon declares that he will forge a new tomorrow for the universe, and Jet Black the Spiral King performs a kamikaze maneuver to allow Lagan to drill a hole in the anti-spiral and blow it out of existence. The team returns to an overjoyed Earth, and Simone and Nia get married, until she subsequently is, subsequently is erased from existence since she was a virtual life form created by the anti-spiral. Should have gotten her a software update, bro. Simone hangs up his gloves, leaving the fate of the universe to the next generation, and walks off into the sunset. In an epilogue that takes place 20 years later, we see our characters leading successful lives while a young village boy is visited by an older Simon and is encouraged to reach for the stars. The end. Oh my god, this ending. So, first of all, it's fucking confusing. The whole, like, anti- anti-spiral stuff. Like, it was, it's just a confusing ending, and I think a lot of people feel that way from what I've read um, over the years and... Even watching this a second time, or I think it was my second time. I can't remember. I'll, I will say it's my second time. But um, still just as confusing. And I think the reason for that, as we're talking through this right now, is because the anti-spiral's motivation is simply not flushed out enough. It's mm-hmm. not flushed out enough. Like, we're just told that humanity is evolving too fast, and they don't like it, and it's going to destroy the universe. How? I have no idea. And somehow, somehow they need to go in between universes to destroy the anti-spiral who think that the hu- humans are going to destroy the universe. Like, it's just, they're, it's not flushed out enough. And I think mm-hmm. that if they d- had dedicated a little more time to clarifying that motivation, I think it would have been a slightly less confusing ending. Um, I get part of the confusion is like, how are they throwing universes at each other? And I, I kind of get that. But for me, the, the confusion really happens with the anti-spirals, like, their their purpose. And, like, it's, they're not a, they're not a threat in my mind as, as a viewer, because I don't get why they're there in the first place. Does that make sense? Yeah, I would say, like, Lord Genome and the Beastmen, like, they 
seemed more of like a credible and formidable threat in the first half. Um, Cause like you can understand, like you can understand the reasons for it, but when that reason turns out to be the anti-spiral, like you said, it, they don't really flesh out the story. It almost becomes like a, they're evil for the sake of being evil kind of trope. Yeah. So yeah, I mean that, that's why the, at least for me, that's why the ending is still kind of confusing for me. Um, the second time watching it, I kind of was able to wrap my head around the whole, like, how are they throwing universes at each other? And yeah, I get that part. Um, but overall, I thought the final fight was as expected for, for this, this writer and then this type of series. It was such a feast for your eyes. I mean, everything mm-hmm. about this show, even some of the smaller fights from the first part, um, of the show, they're just like a, a, a spectacle to be seen. Like, it's just, it's always so splashy and flashy and amazing and I love it like no fight is too small mm-hmm. for this show I think that's that's fantastic and this fight I mean really really amps it up I mean the colors and all the shit that was going down it was it was great to see I, I enjoyed it especially for the the finale yeah they really pulled out all the stops like I didn't even know what I was looking at at some point <laughs> it was like mid-seizure you're like yeah it's beautiful <laughs> or even like the way I don't. I don't know if it happened in a lot in this episode, but the previous one, like the the way the anti spiral is drawn, it's almost like like a white noise kind of thing. Yeah. Um. So it's very, it's very jarring to look at, but then you get all these splashes of color, um, I guess in the galaxy and on the human side, and I don't know if that's like intentional too, like thematically, at this point. Yeah, I think that makes sense to kind of show that contrast. Um, the OP was a fucking banger when it came on in that, that last fight. I thought, similar to how they had Roro fight the power during mm-hmm. the, the dream sequence or whatever it was, the fact that they had the OP as, like, the climactic, like, song to the whole end fight was phenomenal because that is such an amazing OP. Like, every time I hear it, I just get completely hype. And the fact that they kept it for both seasons or both parts, you know, the first half and the second half, um, but just use the other section of the song. Like, mm-hmm. this is, again, it, it follows that theme of, like, paying respects, like, history, right? They did, they chose not to have a new opening because mm-hmm. you you get so hype and, and you feel so connected to this opening from the first half. Why not just keep it for the second half? Why not just hark back to that same feeling? Um, so I, I thought it was great that they had that in there. I also loved that um, in the very last moments of the fight, they stripped down the Gurren's to just log on mm-hmm. and Simone used the first move that Kamina ever taught him log on impact to then kill the anti-spiral. I was like, that's great. Again, hearkening back like to, to what we knew in the first part of the show. Um, it's not, you know, arc Gurren ginormous, you know, dick slinging contest um, log on that that's actually making that final killing blow. It's just log on just tiny little log on with Simone inside um, it just, it, it brought everything full circle. And the way that he defeated the anti-spiral was the same way he defeated Lord Genome, like just piercing with mm-hmm. the, the, you know, j- just the tip. The, yeah, the cordial, yeah. <laughs> with the cordial. I, again, it re- history repeats itself and, and it worked. Like, he, why, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? If it mm-hmm. worked with Le- Lord Genome, why not try it with the anti-spiral too? Because right. spiral power is their weakness. Yes, it's... Like the whole series comes full circle or full spiral. It it really <laughs> but um, it really, really does. Before I dive into what happens after the final fight, do you have any comments on that final fight? 
Um, no, I think you pretty much hit up um, all those points. Uh, it's kind of disappointing, like, that Nia, like, she just fades away. But well, Let me, let me yeah. get into that. Let me, okay. That's what I'm, that's, that's why I wanted to see if you had any comments on the final fight before I dive into that, because that's a whole other thing. This whole, the whole after the fight is mm. a whole other conversation, because there's just, there's so much that happens. In such a small amount of time, there's just so much that they packed in there without making it feel too rushed. Like, I think they touched on everything great. I would have loved, I mean, this is personal preference for them to have had a, a last episode in episode 28 where they kind of flush out all those things, but I get it. Like, they're just, it's wrapping it up, tying it all up in a nice bow, and I, I don't necessarily dislike the way they ended things, but I love that Simone looks way more mature at the very end after mm-hmm. saving Nia. Um, in so after the time skip, he, he of course looks older, but he doesn't necessarily look mature. Like he kind of looks plain almost. Like he's not himself or something. Like he just has a very plain look to him. And I know he's he, he was a plain character in, in the the first part too, and it's intentional because. He's not, like, this wild and crazy character by nature. Uh, but the way he's drawn in these final moments after the the big fight, it's just... It, it, there's just something different about it. He looks more developed as a character physically, and he looks more mature. And I thought that was a, a great, subtle choice that they made. Um, and I love that he resembles Kamina versus, again, that the earlier part of the, the second half where he just looks kind of plain. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that even in his on his wedding day, he has his hair done like Kamina's. I thought that was... I didn't catch that the first time I watched it, but the second time I realized oh, I that, yeah. he actually changed his hairstyle and wore Kamina's hairstyle to his wedding. Um, and then after Nia disappears, he grabs his cape and embodies Kamina even further by then throwing the cape over his shoulders the same way Kamina did when they first got to the surface and that, that image that always kind of stays with us. So... Again, Kamina it was probably the most important person in Simone's life. Second, of course, was Nia. So after after the atrocity of immediately removing Kamina from the first OP's like visuals after he died, it was very nice to see Kamina be honored in this way at the end of the show. Because, man, I was so upset, as I shared in the, the last episode, like, I was so upset when suddenly Nia replaces Kamina in the opening and I'm like, who's this bitch? Where's Kamina? What are you people doing? So I thought that that was really, that was a good way to, again, show that respect. Um, I think just what I, what I thought I could handle the second time around that I clearly could not was Nia's disappearance. It Mm. was just, oh my God, it hurt so much because I love them together. Um, I think they're one of my favorite parts, them being uh, Simone and Nia. They're one of the fa- my favorite parts about this show, just watching their relationship blossom and watching them find each other and, and um, be what each other needed and, you know, at that moment in their lives. Like, it just hurt so bad when she just fucking disappeared. Even though even though Simone knew it was, ha- was going to happen, I was just like, what the fuck? It hurt. That's all I can say is it hurt so much. Now that I think about it, though, like... Like Simone has had two people, two people in his life that have had to pass away, um, but you kind of see how he deal like how he deals with each of those deaths differently, right? Because with Kamina, obviously that was a shock to his system, like that was his big like his big brother, and like it left a huge hole in his life, and he had no one else to really look up to or for someone to mentor him. 
Um, but then Nia comes in, and, like, she's the light that fills up his darkness. Yeah. Um, and kind of, like, she allows him to start to become his own person. Because she always says, like, oh, I, I know that Simon will come out, like, will turn out to save the day um, in any situation. Um, so she becomes, like, the driving force for him. And then, like, when he comes to the realization, I think in this episode, like, in the midst of his fight with the anti-spiral, I think he, he realizes, like, Nia only has, like, a certain amount of time to live. Like, he, he reacts to that differently than he did with Kamina. Because I think now that he's matured, like, he's accepted, like, that this is the way that it's going to be. Um, and so, he, like, like you said, like, with Kitan and with Yoko... Tom wanting to go out with a bang by giving her like kissing her before he ultimately got blown up or whatever like it's the same thing here where um Simone wants Nia to go out with a bang by them like marrying each other and and probably um, going out with a bang before that yeah <laughs> well not really good or yeah but um yeah just thinking about that now it's like with two people that in his life that have passed away like Simone has learned how to to cope with that. Um, yeah, I, I didn't think about that. You're right. Like it's it's night and day mm-hmm. his reactions between communist death and Nia's. But again, like to be fair, like communist was sudden. It was in the middle of this intense battle, mm-hmm. um, and Nia's was like he had time to to accept that reality. But I know you said Roshu ends up being the tragic character in the show. Honestly, I hate to say it, but I feel like Simone ends up being the tragic character, at least in my opinion, mm-hmm. because. He is just a genuine character. He is nice through and through. I mean, he really doesn't have any bad things about him. And yet he's the only one who doesn't end up, obviously besides the people who died, um, he's the only one that doesn't end up with like the truly happy ending that you that we believe he deserves. Um, and I get he's okay with that. Like he understands like this is his life. But it's like, damn, of all the people to not have anything at the end of the day, it's just, it's, it's Simone. It, it, just, it hurts, I think. And it's just, uh, I don't know. He, he sacrificed so much, even when he didn't want any of this in the beginning. He just wanted to, to live his Yoshikaga Kira quiet <laughs> life. And I guess he does to a certain degree. Like, he, mm. he disappears. Um, but that also hurts, too, because, like, you have Team Gurren, who you've built this, this lifelong relationship or friendship with, and then you just kind of disappear into the shadows. I don't know. Something about Simone's ending is is tough for me to for me to process yeah i guess there's a parallel there because when rocio takes over the government and arrests simon like he wants like the city wants blood for what's going on with the threat and whatever and so like rocio chooses simon as the scapegoat basically right because in that sense it's like sacrificing one person for the betterment of a whole group of people and I think you still see that here where, like, Simon kind of sacrifices his own, not to say he's not happy, but, like, his, his, he sacrifices his, like, his own pursuit of happiness in order to allow civilization to continue onward. Um, so it's a very selfless thing for him to do, obviously, but... Yeah, because he's an amazing character mm-hmm. who... Who cares like, more about others than himself, yeah. which is just awesome. So he's matured like 
crazy at this point for him to to kind of take that burden upon himself. Yeah. And then even with the, I guess the epilogue, um, where he uh, passes by that village boy, like he even encourages him, like, hey, the lights in the skies are stars, and you should go and explore for yourself, like reaching those heavens. Yeah. Yeah, I I think. Like, at the end of the day, I accept Simone's ending, and I'm just glad that, like, he lived to a ripe old age, like, and that he had, you know, peace and quiet and just got to hang out with Buta and, and all that, but it's just, you get that image after the wedding of, um, you know, Kamina's grave, and then next to that, he buries, I mean, not physically buries Nia since she disappeared, mm-hmm. but, like, you know, sets up a, a gravesite for Nia next to Kamina, which I thought was great because, like, they're both very important people to him, and I thought that was a, a great choice. But it's also just, like, it leaves you kind of feeling empty because you're like, man, everything that he ever cared about is gone. Um, And even, like, again, those relationships that he built, those are not gone, but, like, he's he's chosen to to leave those behind. Like, I just, I, I, my, in my head canon, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm helping myself accept the ending by saying, you know, this is what he won at the end of the day. And and I'm sure there were lots of wonderful things that happened in the, over the last 20 years. Um, in his life where he's, you know, happy and calm and, and content. That's just what I, mm. I like to believe. But I think overall, this is one of those unique anime endings where we don't only get that resolution for the immediate situation, you know, the threat with the anti-spiral, but we get a resolution even out in the future. Like, we get that confirmation that, like, yes, everyone is still happy, they're still doing well, society's mm. thriving 20 years later or whatever the, the time skip is. And I love that. I love that. Because, again, like, you you grow up with these characters. You watch these characters grow up as you, you move through the show. And it's just so satisfying to actually see that confirmation. Because we don't get enough of that. We simply don't. And I also love that Ron never aged. He still looks exactly the same <laughs> 20 years later. Yeah, Ron, best character. So with that, you've shared what you thought about the second half. And you have very different feelings about the second half versus the first half. But when you think about the show as a whole, what are your thoughts? That's a loaded question. Because <laughs> um, the second half, there's a lot to to unpack. And, you know, I can kind of go through some of my pros and cons. Um, we I kind of touched upon this earlier in the podcast. Like, I enjoyed the jump in the time jump, the shift in tone. And that's something that that's rare for a lot of TV shows and, and probably anime to com- to accomplish, but that's what the show does very well. Because um, in the first half of the series, you go from a hero's journey into this like political drama that's mixed with a doomsday plot. And, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of different things that go on in those kinds of plots, but it, it, it kept the show like very refreshing, gave it like a nice and unique twist. And then the whole thing where former villains have become new allies and you know like I think that's a probably like a storyline that might get repeated in a lot of other anime or other series uh, case in point with Attack on Titan um, but yeah in that sense like the the series really became more interesting um, and Touching back upon the whole Rocio thing, I was looking at him as a tragic character more in the sense of like uh, the, the the structure of a tragedy where 
like a tragedy is basically like a, a person who rises up to a very high point and then all of a sudden just gets torn down kind of like the julius caesar like the whole tragedy of julius caesar and, true, true um or even harvey dent in the dark knight i i saw rocio as more of those kinds of characters and that just made for his whole story to become very like very compelling for me because at first it almost seemed like really tropey for him to become like that secondary antagonist because like he's you see him become like fed up with um simon becoming so inactive and lazy with his whole supreme commander role in the beginning um and almost seeing him become like jealous of his like his very unrefined but like still definite skills with leadership and that's fitting for Rosio because like obviously he, again he's the more calculated person um, on the team and Simone's more of like that brash confident person and that's probably something that he inherited from Kamina but then as you as that whole arc goes along you see Rosio become the very person that that village chief became where he was trying to control the population um, so then we, like we have to end up rooting against Rosio and like you see his contingency plan with the arc like start to fall apart because he doesn't have the same like mental <laughs> mental capacity but like the, the fighting spirit um that simone has which gave him the right tools to become the leader of turn or of gurren lagan of team gurren and then like rocio realizes the error of his ways and then almost com- like he's becomes close to committing suicide at the end um and i think that's what really uh, materializes because at some point in the show the anti spiral talks about like absolute despair right and that's what's happening with rocio's like he starts to embody absolute despair because like he realizes like he he has been approaching this leadership thing the whole like the wrong way and he's about to um confront that with a very tragic ending but then like simone comes in and tells him hey like snap out of it um don't end hero right and that again that's a testament to simone becoming like a a bigger leader in the second half um so although in this sense like rosio's structure and tragedy doesn't end the same way like other tragic characters does like simone was able to help him snap out of that um but just seeing his character, character development at that point was was very intriguing. And after that, like he only becomes almost like a background character for the most part because like obviously Simone's story becomes more prevalent in the later half of the second part. Um, but it was nice that the show kind of touched upon Rosio for that for that short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing I appreciated was just. And that the theme of confidence is now complemented by the theme of like escalation um, and kind of in this show, like confidence has to really stand its ground um, as a theme because like the team is starting to face like a lot more overwhelming odds against them, um, which obviously like that culminates with the truth that the true threat that you find that's facing humanity, which is the anti-spiral um but i guess in a more tangible form like you see escalation with just gurren lagan itself like in all its forms of evolution because you have 
I wrote them down here just so I could keep them straight. You have Gurren Lagan, and you have Art Gurren Lagan, and you have Super Galaxy Gurren Lagan, then you have Tengen Topa Gurren Lagan. Like how many? That's four. One, two, three. Like four evolutions, I guess, of of the gunmen. It's like people say it's like a the show's a big dick slinging contest. Who's <laughs> got yeah, the like biggest more, dick? Yeah, like add more inches and. Um, but yeah, that like that's the physical manifestation of this theme of escalation in the second half. And I wrote here like it's similar to like Katamari Damashi, where you start with with a small rolling, like a small ball, and then you roll up a bunch of objects, and it continuously grows and gains power. And it's just a appropriate theme if you look at the show from the the context of the human condition. Again, considering who's watching the show. Because um, even if you face like absolute despair and it seems like everything's working against you, like you can always find the drive and the confidence in yourself um, to really succeed despite these escalating odds. Yeah, a really good theme for weebs. <laughs> <laughs> so that they don't always just cower to whatever whatever the world throws at them. Yeah, and we say they, but let's be honest, we're weebs too. <laughs> no, yeah, like we're the demographic the show is for. Um, and another theme too that I thought was also very prevalent is like how they handle um, fate and not letting yourself bend to fate's will. And that's kind of similar to what we saw in, in Trigun, right, with Vash's Stampede, like his destiny was almost set in that he had to kill his brother. Um, but then he found a way around that. And here it's like the anti-spiral. He was so sure that the universe would be doomed in the future. And like, that was humanity's destiny, like for, for that, the human race to be exterminated. Um, until Simone shows up and, and fucks up that cycle and, and creates the own, his own future. And, you see like this theme of fate being changed with the way that the narrative in the beginning, um, the narrator, when he opens up the sh- or each episode, like he alters some of this, like he alters the sentences that he recites. And that addresses again, the evolution of fate um, series. Cause some of the things I wrote here, I was like one narrative says, this is the story of a man who has yet to realize his destiny and then another episode, I think a later episode, is this is a story of a man who pierces the fate of the universe. And I guess the one other thing I wanted to touch on with the theme of fate, I wrote down, I think this was one of Simone's, the quote that he says when he's about to like deliver the final blow to the anti-spiral, which again, encapsulate this, encapsulates this theme. Like, mark my words, this drill will open a hole in the universe, and that hole will be a path for those behind us. The dreams of those who have fallen the hopes of those who will follow. Those two sets of dreams weave together into a double helix, drilling a path towards tomorrow. That's Tang and Topa, that's Gurren Lagan. My drill is the drill that creates the heavens. So Kamina was, I think Kamina was the one who says, my drill is the drill that pierces the heavens. But in this case, Simone is opening the gates and allowing people like to not be held down by all oh, this threat of like humans are gonna all be exterminated if if we let this continue. Yeah, it's like Kamina laid the groundwork or got got Simone to the first goal and now Simone gets everyone to the finish line. Right. It, I guess like Kamina is the quarterback 
and then like he throws the ball and then Simone's the receiver who takes it all the way uh, to the touchdown um, so yeah I think that's again escalation confidence and then not letting yourself be tied down to to fate and like again opening up new paths for yourself because that's basically again that's what Simone did in the end he sacrificed I guess his own fate not really yeah, he sacrificed his own fate for everyone else to to choose their fates and you see that with the the village boy at the very end of the last episode right where he encourages him um and last thing that I really loved about the show again you talked about this before is like the whole thing with Nia being Simone's motivation um with her bringing in the color into his life at that in that one episode in the first half and then like her always trusting in Simone to be like the victor in any situation and then he delivers on that because he almost like the entire his entire objective in the second half is to save her yeah like, obviously alongside saving humanity so he was like he was a good husbando he in was this, in that case and then obviously like there are things about this show that like still have yet to sit well with me or i guess that i'm still kind of struggling with um because I, I enjoyed the show, but there, and I, but as I said in the beginning, there's something that that's missing for me, and I, I can't kind of pinpoint like why I can't love this show as much as I love a lot of the other anime that we've watched so far. Um, and one of the, I guess one of the things I wanted to look at is like the second half. And I guess the show whole series in general has a lot of these great action set pieces and these like. Bump, like these huge spectacles but I guess what it was one of the things that was missing for me is that I really never really got the sense that Team Gurren would ever fail at succeeding like their ultimate mission yeah that's fair everything was always kind of happened in the right way or yeah. in a way that set them up for for that next step yeah because I felt you know, like, watching the episode, like, it, it makes you think, oh, like, what, like, team growing screwed now, but I, I didn't ever really get that sense of tension, but, like, now they think about it, that we've discussed the episode with the anti-spiral throwing the team into multiverses, like, I can see that as, like, a setback, like, where you're not entirely sure, like, how the team's gonna get through that, but I think there just weren't enough instances where the team was really failing at something to really make all their victories seem like less hollow um yeah again like i i think i'm too privileged enough to have viewed other anime um in the modern day um that maybe with again with more writing experience um kind of address that issue but like attack on titan is the one that i can find direct correlations to where like that that anime like has you constantly on the edge of your seat right because you you're not sure if the scout regiment's going to succeed against this huge titan threat um well i feel like so i think you're right i think that there's not enough failure in the show there i think there is sometimes i mean roshu was a failure mm -hmm. <laughs> as a leader as one example but i think that attack on titan is based on like what happens next mm -hmm. 
Gurren Lagann's not really based on that thought process. Like, I'm not sitting there thinking, like, what's going to happen next? Like, I think it's it's pretty obvious what's going to happen. You can kind of call it from a mile away. But for me, it's more on, like, what will these relationships look like next? Or, like, how will these people interact next? You know what I mean? Like, for me, mm. it was more about the relationships, which is why I think, again, I'm not a huge fan of Mecha. I've watched plenty of Mecha, but I've never, like, loved anything the way I love Gurren Lagann. I think it's because at least compared to some of the mecha that I've watched outside of Gurren Lagann, this show really feeds into the dynamics and the relationships between the characters. Mm-hmm. There's so much character development. There's so much building, um, you know, on, on these these tense, you know, dynamics or these really important dynamics. I think that for me is, is, is what Gurren Lagann sits on versus Attack on Titan that sits on, like, the actual situation at hand. Yeah, that's fair. And I think, uh, to your point, like maybe I haven't seen enough like mecha anime. And if I look at it through that lens, I'm sure like Gurren Lagann's going to sit at the, at the top of the list. Um, but yeah, I guess I'm just looking at it more holistically with everything else that I've watched in anime so far. Um, and, I, and I guess, again, with the whole sense of tension, it almost like another comparison I was making in my head is like Grin Lagan or Team Grin is almost like they're a boxer that has like an undefeated record where yeah it's 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 impressive for them to have all these victories and to to have the ability to face each challenge head on and succeed but then at at sometimes it can still feel like monotonous or very hollow yeah uh, but again like you have the the huge set piece at the end where they finally defeat the anti-spiral um so yeah, that was something that that I had to kind of wrestle with, because um, the only real sense of like loss that I got in the show, or like the cost of like the team's victory, is like with with Kamina's death, right? That's yeah. like one of the more focal losses in the show. That and Kitan, like ugh, yeah. those two. And then I again. And Nia, with... oh my god, and Nia, <laughs> I can't forget Nia, oh my god. Yeah. Uh, and then now that we were talking about it, like the whole scene again with the multiverses, like that's those are the parts that really, where you really do see like setbacks and and the sense of oh is the team gonna succeed? But I think it just needed a little bit more of that. Probably because um, we're all sitting there like, wait, what the hell's happening right now? Right. And and maybe again, this was a thing with Trigun. Um, the series could have benefited from an extra. Maybe an, an extra couple episodes or a, a whole other season to really flesh out the conflict a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and now, is this based on a manga or is the anime like a standalone? I have no idea because this is strictly anime and I only watch anime. <laughs> like I never read manga. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm just asking because, like, in that sense, like, if there if there is a manga, like, are there things in there, like, elements in there that they couldn't translate to the show just because of, like time constraints i imagine mm-hmm. and i think that's that's common across the anime industry is like there you just cannot fit everything that you can in the manga in the anime so there mm-hmm. are going to be a lot of lost pieces and i think that's why there's such a hot debate between you know which is superior manga versus anime because from a manga reader's standpoint you don't miss out on any of the story mm-hmm. you, you get the full picture um and it is the it's the source material 99 percent of the time um, 
so I imagine that if we were to read the manga, I would expect, again, if there is a manga, I would expect mm-hmm. that the whole, like, you know, anti-spiral mo- motivation would be more flushed out and that would make more sense. Or the whole fight with the universes being whipped around, like, would make more sense. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm looking at Wikipedia now. I think it started as the anime and then it was adapted to a manga. Oh, interesting. Well, there mm-hmm. you go. Another anomaly with Gurren Lagann. I wonder, too, because I'd like to eventually watch the movies, which I believe is the same storyline retold with some differences, if we'll feel the same way about, like, the ending and about some of these these gripes that we have, like, mm-hmm. if those are addressed in the, in the movies. So maybe that could be a future thing for our podcast, is to, to watch the movies. Yeah, for sure. Um, and the last, I guess, con that I wanted to address with this and I've mentioned this in the la- uh, previous episode with Grand Lagan part one is that I don't know, it, it kind of baffles me uh, that there's still a continued lack of like logic or reasons for why the team is able to succeed in certain situations um, and I only have like two examples here but one of them again is with Buta against having to save the day because, like, all of a sudden, he has this spiral power, right? With I think he was helping out Viral um, in one of the episodes. Is that when he turns a human or whatever you're talking about? No, it was another one where... Oh, when his butt, like, starts glowing or whatever, yeah. and he's got, yeah, a spiral power. I mean, he is a... I don't think spiral power exclusively sits with humans. I think it's, like, right. cr- like living creatures. Um, yeah, and I think, like, the show semi-explains that, Um but yeah, like, why suddenly now does right. they have all this power that they could have easily benefited from earlier in the show? Mm-hmm. Or one other thing that I noticed in the season, like, with, like, the anti-spirals, like, his dying wish is that Simon and Team Gurren, he leaves it to them to protect the universe. Um, and all Simon says is, like, of course we will, like, humanity is not that stupid. But in my head, I'm thinking, like, how plausible is it for to, for humanity to constantly fend off threats? Like, as dangerous as, or if not more so, than the anti-spiral. By getting a bigger Gurren Lagann. <laughs> yeah. Just like, keep making <laughs> Gurren Lagann bigger. <laughs> yeah, like, okay, like, that... Bigger's not always better, <laughs> no, I, I guess, know, in, I, in reality, so... I'm, and, just, yeah. I'm being facetious. <laughs> no, yeah. And you mentioned this for, like... Gurren Lagan, I think it's one of the shows like Jojo where you have to just accept it for what it is. Hell yeah. Because like you have these mecha or you have these gunmen that are just throwing planets or galaxies at each other. Yeah. So they're like You go into it knowing that it's it's an over the top anime, but that Mm -hmm. it's it's just built that way and and therefore you just kind of accept it, even if you're sitting there like, What? (laughs) Yeah. Um But like I said I don't know if these are the pieces for me that are missing and and why like I again I enjoy this anime like it was a it was a fun ride especially with the second half doing almost like a 180 with the time jump um but yeah this I, I can't for sure say like what what is missing but yeah that's my holistic view on on the series um, one con for me really quick before we dive into our, our ratings. Um, thinking again about that whole Buta turning into like a, and a, what is it? Anna, like a humanoid. A humanoid or whatever. Um, and talking. That felt like 
that one Pokemon movie where Pikachu suddenly speaks English (laughs) in the dub. It's because... Like, the reaction... I've seen those videos. Like, someone recorded the theater when that came on. Like, everyone was just, like, completely appalled. That's what I felt (laughs) when Buta became humanoid and started speaking. And I was like, ew, what is happening right now? Like, what is this? Well, you know, for me, it was almost like that Always Sunny in Philadelphia episode. It was a Christmas episode where... Frank crawls out of the couch and he's like drenched in sweat and oh, yeah. that's when I, when you see uh Buta like transform into human that's why my reaction was the same as like my reaction to Frank coming out of the couch like, <laughs> the like, oh I, my god what the hell am I looking at it's, yeah it's, that was probably my least favorite part about the second half was just and luckily it was a brief moment and mm-hmm. luckily he didn't stay that way that I was just like no thank you let's move on <laughs> yeah Guess how did this stack up for you now that you've seen it for a second time? And obviously, like there was a huge gap between you watching this the first time and the second time. It was mad nostalgia, mad feels. I loved it just as much as the first time I watched it, and that's what I always fear. So, like I, I'm not the type. I may have said share this in the past, but I'm not the type to really rewatch stuff or to replay video games because I love the feeling I had the first time going through that experience and I'm scared mm-hmm. that if I go through it again it's not going to hold up and then I'm going to be left feeling empty or disappointed or not you know not as excited um, and luckily this show left me feeling the same way that I did the first time I watched it it again like with any anime there are things that have aged not the greatest um, I wouldn't I, I'd say it definitely aged better than like Trigun did don't get me wrong I still love Trigun um, so I, I wouldn't say it aged poorly, but it aged a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, I just think it was such a fun ride. Um, I think I liked the first half slightly less than I did the first time I watched it. Um, but the second half just held up so well for me. And the funny thing is, I the second half was the part that I remembered slightly less. But I just knew from the feeling that I have when I think about Girl in the Gun, like I knew that for some reason the second half I loved more. And this just this confirmed it. Like it, it's just a, a more flushed out part of the story. Mm-hmm. It's more compelling. It's more relatable. It's more interesting. Um, and yeah, I'm I love it still. Just as basically just as much as the first time. How many giga drill breaks out of ten would you give it? Then? I would give it a nine. Uh, nine mm. at minimum. Almost a nine point five, but I'm not quite there. So I would say a nine out of ten. I love it. What about you? <laughs> I might get some flack for this, but I'm wrestling right now with a seven and a half, seven and a half to an eight. <laughs> That's fair. That's actually better than I thought you would give it, at least from your reaction to the first half. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm fine with that. No, Not that yeah. my opinion matters on your on your rating, but <laughs> no, I think like the second half was like the saving grace of the sh- of the series for me because it it kept me it kept me interested in what was going on. It was compelling. Um, yeah, it, it gives you a fresher perspective on these characters and and um, yeah it was, it was a unique part and overall like it's probably one of the more unique mecha anime series where it, it deserves to be like a classic but for my t- my own tastes like it seemed a little bit too like formulaic and maybe a little overly bombastic uh, of a story um but again, if I were to view this through a lens of like other, like comparing it to other mecha anime, I'm sure 
you know, this would probably be top of my list in that genre. But, yeah, now I've learned to believe in the me that believes in you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in a forever. Yeah. Who Who the hell do you think he is? And so that wraps it up for episode 13 of Strictly Anime uh, with Gurren Lagann, part two. We'd like to thank you all for tuning in. And we'd like to extend a special thank you to Super Newt Ensemble for the jingle that you hear at the beginning and end of this podcast. Thanks for staying on this wild ride with us. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. (laughs) 